0: Welcome to What Bubbles Up. Pop open your mind and a cold one and get creative with your hosts, Bill and Barry.
1: What's poppin', everybody, and welcome to episode four of this season of What Bubbles Up. Woohoo! A show about ideas where do they come from, and how do you know when they're truly great? Barry, I'm looking forward to this episode. I think it's going to be a really fun one. We're going to be talking about content and creating stories.
0: That is exactly right. The changing world of production in particular.
1: That's right, Phil. It's going to be good. Let's start off with the all-important question, though. What are you drinking, Barry?
0: Exactly. Well, so I went, I went deep in the fridge, and uh, actually I pulled out something from Lord Hobo Brewing Company here up in Massachusetts. This is the Angelica Hazy IPA, which I thought... Uh, frankly, given the weather outside uh, hazy, mm. I think is a, is a is a is a fair statement to what we've got going on up here in Boston, Phil. Absolutely. So I'm gonna crack this open. What are you drinking? Ooh,
1: that sound on that is fantastic. I also went pretty hazy, okay mm. um, and and you know uh, we were talking about telling stories. This is a beer with a little bit of a story. Yeah. not a huge one, but this yeah. is um, the IPA X. Uh, from Ardent uh, Craft Brewery in Richmond, Virginia. Um, uh, Ardent is one of those breweries, and you know, I love the Richmond brewing scene. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they had a lot of trouble uh, in in uh, COVID. Mm. And uh, they're coming back strong. They had to diversify their business, they were just a bar, and then they started serving food and all sorts of other stuff. And then this particular beer, the IPAX, which is a 7.1%. Uh, uh, IPA with uh, Citra and Mosaic hops. is sort of the culmination of lots of different uh, IPAs that they've tried over time, and this sort of landed here. So I'm gonna pop this open and see how it goes. Yeah, I know.
0: I know. Here, here's a, a special toast to all the breweries out there that are. That are hopefully surviving. I start. I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, Phil. I hope. I I hope you are as
1: well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Do you want to introduce our special let's,
0: guest? Let's do it. All right. So here we go. We are. Uh, we're going. Uh, we're going deep into the heart of Maine here for for someone who I, I think of as, a, as sort of a, a Cape Codder and a Massachusetts man. We are uh, very thrilled to have Dustin Devlin here with us. Dustin is a filmmaker. He is an editor, and he is the creative director and co-founder of Vagrants. Uh, it's a production company and content creation shop that he co-founded. Welcome, Dustin. Welcome to What Bubbles uh, up? Thank
2: you guys so much to for having me. I'm so I'm such a big fan. I have right. listened to so many of these podcasts, um and I'm really delighted to be here. This is fantastic. Yeah.
0: Well, we are thrilled to have you. so so it's I will just now step up to the uh, step up to the challenge here, and, uh, what are you drinking?
2: well so I, I have recently moved to Maine I, I have fled um, I've shed my mass wholeness <laughs> um, like like many of us uh, during covid we have we have flown uh, the, the the metropolitan areas and I, I moved to uh, Kittery Maine which is um, mm-hmm. just over I'm just barely a mainer actually when I moved here I was told that um, I will never be a mainer, and my kids will never be mainers. But there is a small chance that my kids' kids could be mainers. Oh God! (laughs) Um, Wow. Okay. So, so I'm a transplant. Yeah. Why don't you start
1: by saying aya, aya, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: So I've gone to you know one of the original craft uh, breweries, and I still think uh, one of the finest, um, Mm. uh, which is the main Beer Company
0: Mm -hmm. uh, here.
2: Oh, yep. Yeah, and I thought this big was a, a a fitting title, a tiny beautiful something. I oh, think we'll, I think we'll hit on that uh, that's that nice. topic. But I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I like the 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 uh, can better. I gotta crack it here. It's not as good for the, the yeah. Sound you got effects. the
0: big bottle. I know, but those are that is. I've had that. That's
1: a delicious beer. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, well, if we can yeah.
2: add the sound effect in post, that would be great. We
1: can yeah. do. It. and 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 you are the type of person. For whom the joke we'll fix it in post actually applies all, <laughs> exactly. all the time. <laughs> exactly.
0: So Phil, why don't we dive into it here with Dustin? And yeah. and I mean, basically, I think when we were talking to Dustin in, in prep for this interview, the thing the big idea that we thought would be great to talk about here really is the changing world of production, right? Mm-hmm. So I That's mean, right. if you think about all of the amazing things that have happened in terms of film production, literally getting rid of the film part to start and all yeah. of the other kind of crazy stuff that's gone on. Um, Dustin has had the front row seat and uh, been a participant in all of that stuff. So, I mean, Dustin, why don't we start right at the beginning, right? You came out of UMass, they were still shooting commercials on film, you know, you was, but it was right at the point when the digital tape was sort of just emerging. Like, what was it like at that point? You, you sort of were like the last generation to have a foot in both worlds,
2: yeah, very much so. Um, you know, when I came out, um, you know, film was still king. And if you had budget, uh, as a lot of commercials did, you mm-hmm. you were shooting in film. But uh, we're right at the sort of precipice of the, the digital re- revolution. You know, YouTube wasn't a thing yet, but video is starting to become digitized. It's starting to become more democratized. And um, what kind of emerges at the same time is, uh, is digital tape right? So it's uh, cameras that are shooting to tape um, that can be converted digitally yeah. and post. And there's a, there's a really sort of arduous process um, in capturing that tape. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the first nonlinear editing system, right? Max, uh, yeah. Final Cut Pro. Yeah. And um, all, the old fo- all the old folks or all the folks that are <laughs> my age now um, mm-hmm. that were in the industry, um, we're looking to the next generation to be able to Understand that it was just so foreign to them, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I, coming from UMass, a, a, a state university, I, I wouldn't say it was the most applied um film school, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> we certainly yeah. didn't have a lot of that knowledge, so I kind of had to uh learn it myself on the job. And it was that classic yeah. sort of thing that you made. I,
0: re- I remember cutting on uh tape to tape, I only did it for first very small stretch, but you would walk in and there was like an edit bay, and there would be like six sort of like take the tape machines and you would it was basically the way you would edit is is you would like constantly re-record and re-record and re-record over the same tape so by the mm-hmm. end your rough cut of what you were trying to put together was so blurry it was like you had sort of taken the film and
2: sanded it or something like that yeah. it was hilarious <laughs> right it just gets progressively worse yeah. as you go yeah. um yeah, so we had these big uh, beta decks, basically. Mm-hmm. They were huge, like three times the size of a VCR. And you know, basically what our job was, uh, was to capture the tapes that, that we had shot, uh, digitize them, and get them into the edit system, uh, and then prepare edits. Uh, at the time, I was working for a company called DGA Productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were working on a cooking show for America's Test Kitchen uh, oh, yeah. called Cook, Cook's Country. Um, and that was actually my first gig. I was an assistant editor on that uh, show. And uh, I was also a motion graphics editor because at the same time, a little program called After Effects started coming out. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. it, in my job interview, they say, well, sometimes we get flies in some of the food shots. Um, do you know how to take those out and post? <laughs> and I said, sure I do. Of course I do. Of course. Yes. Of course. I absolutely did not. And uh, Run to the web. Many all-nighters trying to figure yeah. Yeah. out how to rotoscope uh, flies out of oh, a, a, a beautiful food shot.
1: Yes. Rotoscope. Little known fact, the name of my post-college band.
2: Really? That's oh, a great yeah. man,
1: Rotoscope? <laughs> rotoscope. Uh, that is a great band name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic. We uh, we we fancied ourselves a, a pseudo rock electronica kind of outfit because uh, we liked we were just basically computer nerds with with guitars. Uh, that's yeah. that's kind of how that goes. Um, so and it's probably one of those things, right, Dustin? Where hey, you're young, you know computers, you do this. Is that, is that kind of how it, exactly. happened? it just kind of fell in your lap a little bit?
2: Exactly. And, and it, what's ironic now, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get down to this, but now I'm on the flip side of things where, you know, social is everything and, and mm-hmm. everything moving at that speed, I'm a little disconnected from. So now I'm bringing in, you know, interns uh, <laughs> and I'm saying can you guys figure this out right now? How, how do we get something on ig reels i haven't figured that out yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. so it, it's um it, it's a cyclical thing um yeah. which is interesting
1: well if there's one universal truth it's that getting old sucks yes <laughs> that is uh, that is an idea that will live on um so all right well that's that's interesting so so that's kind of where you cut your teeth right in the uh uh, uh america's test kitchen but then Around 2009, big a big shift happened, which is Canon the 5D. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that you know really disrupted the industry and how you had to maybe play a little bit of catch up?
2: Hmm. Yeah, so so I'm I, you know I'm I'm recently out of college, right? I've only probably been working in the industry for for a year or two, and. Um you know, it's, it, we, we're the first real lost generation. I, I feel, a, a kinship to this generation, yeah. um, that's graduating college right now. Yeah. Um, because it was very similar for us, you know, that, the we were in an economic downturn, um, and there just wasn't a lot of opportunity, um, yeah. but we were scrapping by and, uh, the company I'd worked for, um, had just bought, um, two of the top cameras at the time at the Panasonic, very camera. They were made popular by the show planet earth. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. oh yeah. Everybody went out and, and bought that camera and they were $90,000 cameras, you know, yep. massive capital investments mm-hmm. for a small production company. Mm-hmm. And that year Canon launches the five D and the five D is the first SLR camera, meaning, you know, a, a point and shoot camera um, yep. that could shoot high, high res HD video. Yeah. Uh, and it could shoot it with photo lenses and that came in at a $5,000 price hit you yeah. know mm-hmm. uh and and it just absolutely changed everything and especially in in our world in, in marketing and advertising because now you could go out and you could get really high quality cinematic images with mm-hmm. depth of field um yeah for a very low price yeah and, it, was, and it, it was
0: it was like the i i remember that moment i mean it was it was like Netflix coming in and blowing up the music business. So like basically, yep. uh, like I remember at the time there was a real huge divide because there were people who like loved film mm-hmm. and like had almost like this religious sort of like adherence to film, and people who really loved this high end production value. And then suddenly, you know, and they were horrified because but like you know everyday people could run around and shoot stuff that looked pretty damn good. Yeah. And then yeah. you had people like. You were talking about George Lucas was shooting Star Wars on a 5D, right?
2: Yeah, there, there was major um, applications for it across the industry because now it's a tiny camera body, too, so you can get it in the craziest places. Mm-hmm. And if you're shooting action sequences, you want to put 10 cameras mount them all to different vehicles and mm-hmm. things like that. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure which... Star Wars it was but it was one of in the you know first three to trilogy that that um adopted the the 5d and that really changed everything um so all of a sudden uh the the industry has gone from a very high-end professional bar right and then everything just widens up Mm -hmm. um and now you know you can be Uh, just a dude with a camera and you can go out and shoot uh, high-end video. And and I think the first real application for it, um, people that, that got there really quick was corporate video, you know, like uh, we just need to shoot the CEO of our company, you know, pontificating (laughs) about the tenets of our, you know, belief system. And, you know, you could go and you could set up a beautiful interview shot with a Canon 5D. The the funny thing was that it only rolled for five minutes. So every, (laughs) at at the end of five minutes, you had to stop the CEO and say, excuse me, I would just have to stop, let the camera cool down for five seconds and then restart again. (laughs) Five second clips. Is that
1: really for the, like the, what the, the Mark one, it was was
2: the Mark one. Yeah. It, oh, it didn't wow. last long. It was like a year or so, but it was That's really entertaining for that year. Uh, oh, um, shame. <laughs> shame. Yeah. for that so, CEO. <laughs> yeah. So around that time, um, it really put production companies out of business and and um, my production company uh, was struggling and they, they obviously had to to lay me off and, and lay really anybody off who yeah. was on the bottom level. So mm-hmm. I was kind of there with two great years of experience under my belt working for America's Test Kitchen, also done a ton of stuff for ESPN. And, uh, but I had nowhere to go and there yeah. wasn't really anybody that was hiring. Well, I
0: love the shift that you made. Honestly, I think it's really awesome. Cause I mean, it, to me, what I, I mean, just to, to skip to the moral of this thing, like a lot of times this kind of like transformative change is like terrifying at the, at the face of it. But I would argue, ultimately became an incredible thing for a lot of people, including yourself. But I love that you sort of shifted to teaching. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, well, it it was uh, a shift of necessity. Um, (laughs) You know, I was out of job. I I was freelancing a lot, and I I still did freelance all the way through. Um, But I I needed that full-time thing. And um, in my hometown, kind of a crazy thing happened. Both my, my mom and my aunt are teachers. Yeah. And uh, there was actually kind of a crazy thing that went on where Comcast, which is a local cable provider, um, your, your cable franchise fees in your in your hometown go to support public access TV. Yeah. Uh, well, on the Cape, they pool all that money. And uh, my hometown had not had uh, a a chance to use any of those funds. So they actually had a lawsuit with Comcast Mm. and the town won back a bunch of that money that um, was was meant for their public access TV station. So they had a a ton of money and they had a, a job that was approved by the town council. Um, and they hired a a little 23 year old kid, hometown boy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, to, to come back and run the the TV station. So the TV station was at the high school. It was inside the school. So I was sort of part you know, television station manager guy, part Mm -hmm. teacher. Um, And I was also 23 years old. So I wasn't much older than the kids in the senior class. I literally had to wear a tie just as a a mark of distinction (laughs) between me and them. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Don't stop passing me notes in the hallway. I know. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Hey, listen, WIRQ. Shout out to WIRQ. That was my high school radio station where I spun the new wave hits, baby. That's right. That's my first DJ job ever. That's right. I love that.
2: Surprise. It's F- gone flock, full circle flock,
0: from Flock hair. of
1: haircuts. Sure.
0: Flock of haircuts. Flock of seagulls was, yeah, I, 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 I'm very scared. Just, a lot of acid-washed jeans and sort of like bad haircuts with yeah. me back then. But yeah, uh, I, I was a DJ. Uh, I otherwise, also had I, a also bad haircut.
1: That. New term, the mall claw. We, everyone remember the mall claw? <laughs> the, the bangs that you would spray into oblivion? Not us. I'm just saying oh, yeah. that.
2: Other, other people not. yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so uh, i so i'm i'm here i am I'm, I'm at the high school and um my really what i'm tasked with is just getting content out on the tv station i said well i know how to do that there's these slr cameras yeah they're pretty freaking cheap you, we have a ton of money we can buy a bunch of them and i just got to train people how to use them so i, I end up taking on Um, high school students. um, We ended up developing a curriculum at the high school that was geared um, towards production. Uh, And uh, then I I trained parents that that were in the community. And um, it became this really great organic thing that I I grew from the ground up. Um, And by the time I was done with it, we had 75 kids in the program and, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 programming and you know, it was, it was really a fun thing. And I think that's when I really kind of um, transitioned from just a, uh, you know, filmmaker, uh, video editor type person to a, to a manager. I really got mm. the hang of uh, yeah. working yeah. with people and leveraging people um, and collaborating with people to, to, to make this, you know, better thing. This great yeah. thing. That's know? awesome. So 23-year-old teacher <laughs> with a
1: tie. <laughs> Which uh-huh. just and and by the way you could in, in that scenario you can't say back in my day because back no. in your day you were them I mean it was just it was just the same that's, day that's yeah, right. uh, yeah. That's right. but yeah. uh so all right so so you did the the uh public access thing and then you kind of did some some hustles uh yeah. working, you know all around Boston and then you eventually landed. In a place that the three of us have uh, called home at, at one point in time, so um, that's when when things started to take yet another turn. So why don't we talk a little bit about that transition?
2: Yeah, I, I ended up uh, at Sapien with Barry. I remember uh, my sitting in the interview room with Barry, <laughs> and uh, he he explained to me right off the bat. It, it was one of the craziest things uh, in a, to experience in a job interview. He said, "Here's what here's what the deal is. You're going to be here for five years." And in this five years, you're going to get some experience under your belt. You're going to work for some big brands and eventually you're going to get sick of it and you're going to want to leapfrog later. And I was like, what is he talking about? I want to be here for the rest of my career. <laughs> five oh, years.
0: Oh, uh, oh. It's no, foreshadowing foreshadowing. it was foreshadowing. It was yeah. foreshadowing.
2: Um, <laughs> but that was my first taste of the advertising industry and the way the speed at which the advertising agents the industry moves and, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I I mean, I couldn't have been happier, you know, uh, we had we had some great accounts on, at the time and yeah. um, I was brought in to be, you know, the guy that the senior editor and, and um, what I was really interested in was working directly with creatives because, um, you know, my background has had always been as a freelancer, and then you know before that, we're working more so in the, in the TV industry. There was always this divide between yeah. mm. between creative right. and production, <laughs> yeah. and it it was this very kind of transactional relationship, which was that we are the creative uh, entity, we have this idea uh, and this budget, and you. The production entity must go execute. That's yeah. how it works.
0: Yeah. And now we're, I, yeah. I think now we're getting into the real advantage, frankly, of the transformation that happened in production, right? But like when the equipment became much more accessible and when the process became much more accessible it kind of blew up that divide because from the, from the writing perspective and the creative perspective, what I had sort of experienced for a huge part of my career was then you then have to go and kiss the ring of like the production company. And yeah. they want you in a tent, like a quarter mile away from the director because all yeah. of this stuff is too technical and too fancy. And what happens when you're dealing with a camera, that's only five grand or less. Cause they got a lot cheaper is suddenly you guys can paint together. Right. And if it, it, yep. it that's what Dustin created is one of the most remarkable things. It was eye-opening to me. He created a production capability that was hand in hand um with the actual people who were like writing things. And it allowed, I would argue, the team that he built that mm-hmm. really would have elsewhere maybe been working just as cinematographers or as editors. It it allowed them to become part of the storytelling creation folks. And it allowed the folks that were coming up with some of the ideas and thinking through the strategy and thinking through the connection to actually be able to participate in some of the magic that happens on the day of a shoot,
1: right? Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So God bless Khaki Riley. Put it all together. She saw that. (laughs) I also would like to say that I actually think that's exactly the way to recruit creative talent is to sort of talk about it in kind of like, you're going to come here, you're going to do a tour of duty, or you're going to come here, you're going to do a cycle. I think it's insane to sort of like recruit someone like they're never going to ever want to go anywhere else. I think it's much less intimidating for people to go like, look, these are the things you're going to learn. These are the things you're going to get do. I think, think about the kind of person you're going to be in five years and let's get to that point And then we can have a conversation about, is it best for you to stay here for another five or is it best to go elsewhere? I like that. I think that's
1: an honest approach to how to recreate creative talent. Well, the other point to make <clears throat> is the whole is better, greater than the sum of the parts. And yeah. what we did... What all of us did, and what I think the best companies do when they're talking about transformation, when they're talking about digital, is tell the story of a company's future. Yeah. So I think, one, you kind of did that with Dustin in the room. Mm. And then, furthermore, as the production team, quote-unquote, started to mash up a whole lot more with the creative team, quote-unquote, the community of storytellers was born to help us tell the story of companies' futures. I think that's super powerful. And and the barrier to entry, of course, also became so low because of the accessibility of the equipment that it became a faster, sort of meaner yeah. kind of process. And then we could bring that to life in a yeah. faster, more efficient way. Like talk yeah. about talk about the Duncan example. Like literally sort of
0: take us yeah. through how different a shoot that or or a production that was because of the way that you sort of built the team.
2: Yeah. Well, you know. The, at the time the the dream of the in-house production capability was very much alive right mm. we weren't the only agency doing it at the time i would argue that was happening all over yeah um and it was ha- it was really taking hold in in some areas and there were some really great examples out there of some agencies that were doing it very well and that was the dream to me and i think that was probably the dream to all of us at the time is how do you make that work how do you make uh production that can be a very, you know, gritty application, you're literally making handshake deals at times to make certain productions work. Um, it, it, it's very sort of down and dirty. How do you make that work in the larger scale of a, an ad agency or, or a larger corporation? And, um, you know, I, I think part of it is, you know, exactly as you were saying, Barry, where, where it's once you democratize the, uh, the actual medium, the application Mm -hmm. of Mm. video, you all, you're all working together, you're all painting together, as you said. And um, that's, that was sort of our idea, uh, with a lot of the accounts that we had at the time, which is that, you know um uh, to steal a lindleyism right um uh, t- tv isn't dead it's just having babies i believe is what you yeah, said yeah, uh, yeah, that's
0: that's brilliant that we, we, is a matt lindleyism shout out to matt lindley exactly Shout out. Yeah. we
2: weren't um we weren't just going for the the high-end you know 30-second tv spot anymore we had to create so many things together yes yes and that was really the challenge with duncan at the time which was um yes, come in here, we have two celebrity talent, which, I mean, at the time in the city that we were in, you couldn't have two better celebrity talent. I would argue you couldn't put two athletes in the same place together that are, that work better together in David Ortiz and Rob Gronkowski. I mean, it's just yeah. a dynamic combination. Dunk and
1: Poppy. That was oh, a hilarious yeah. odd couple. Yeah. The yeah. Summer, the summer chill, I believe, was the... Uh, <laughs> That's right. The yeah, and summer chill. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So, you know, you have that, you have that sort of that, that high end, um, deliverable, and then you have everything else that you needed to fill the channels with. And Mm -hmm, we had so many channels to fill. So, The, the question was, how do we do that? Right. Yeah. And, and part of it was utilizing the, uh, you know, outside production company, the sort of the traditional way. Okay. We have a, uh, you know, a bid, we're going to put it out there to three, you know, separate production companies, or they're going to put up directors and we're going to, you know, we're going to go through that, that whole rim raw that we're all used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we are going to capture some elements on our own. We're going to edit a lot. We're going to yeah. take we're going to take the footage that we shoot and we're going to edit edit it 10 ways to sunday yeah um and we're gonna we're gonna experiment we're gonna play with certain lengths and mediums to see what works to see what resonates um with the audience because at the time you you could do that right like uh, youtube was was the kind of thing at -hmm. the time where you could really put something out there and get immediate feedback as to whether people actually wanted to watch it or not
1: yeah 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 Yeah. that's cool What bubbles are? So, so Dustin was was Barry's timeline about about right. <laughs> <laughs> he was about right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was five, right on the money. Five
0: years, he went ding, and then he came up with a new idea.
1: <laughs> Done. The thermometer popped out of the arm, and uh,
2: so it did. It did. Yeah. But but I gotta say, um, what happened? there was there was forces outside of our control i think that that Mm -hmm. as as happens in the advertising industry right the sure the constant ebb and flow of of how the the companies are organized and whatever parent company had come in and obviously um you know publicists had come into the picture and Um, there is just sort of the shakeup of how do we figure out where production lies in this larger, um, hierarchical, you know, organization of the agency. And, um, what happened was, is that energy of let's all make something together, um, was kind of getting killed, right. Mm. As the layers came in, it became more difficult and, um, At the time I I was, I was getting a lot of, um, opportunities from the, the creatives that we had in the building to, to actually direct stuff. And we were direct, we're using outside production companies, um, as uh, what's called production as a service, which is basically, Hmm. um, they come in and and they, they line produce a project that they're all, they're doing all the X's and O's and we're providing all of the, the creative input. And, um, Mm -hmm. And that was a great opportunity for me because it, it really put the pressure on me and, um, yep. and, and also sort of leveraged my understanding of um, video as a medium, as an editor, and actually put it into practice of, yeah. of okay, I, I know that I can take... Footage and string it out and tell a story with it, but how do I start from scratch? Right. How do I get to that point? And and yeah. so I flipped the coin, um, and got a uh, got a lot of reps. Um, did did a a few you know regional um, broadcast commercial spots, um, and it, once I sort of got a taste of that, I I wanted more of it um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also realized that. That couldn't be had within the structure of, yeah. of the agency, and I would argue that 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 might be the case with any agency, yeah. um, because because at, sure. at a certain point um, you get to economies of scale, and um, right. you just can't pull off production to the scale um, that we were. Yeah at with it, yeah. without having to to make serious slashes yeah. in the budget. Yeah. So
0: you so your next move was to was Vagrants. Your next what I would call like your best idea yet. So I mean like you step outside, you basically create your own company. Tell us a little bit about that adventure and like what the what the idea is behind Vagrants.
2: So I I was looking around um at boston i I was you know boston guy through and through and i I didn't have any desire to leave boston and um i knew the industry quite quite well they're not
0: letting you in this is why they're not letting you be a mainer by the way boston guy through and through that kind of stuff means you're going to have to go another generation before they let you be mainers i'm just permanently
2: grandkids uh, yeah (laughs) i'm just permanently on vacation in vacation land yeah that's right um so I, I knew I didn't want to leave Boston, and I knew the industry in Boston quite well. And what I also gained an in, an uh, in understanding of um, working in the agency is how other cities' production markets work. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at New York, uh, looking at L. A., looking at Chicago, there is this um, p- there's a plentiful amount of boutique production shops, right? Small production entities that produce very high quality work, and Boston didn't have that. Boston, um, for for one reason or another, was really dominated by um, a couple of production companies, Hmm. and um, I I I saw that as as sort of a a, you know an entry into the market that if you if you could take the formula of what a lot of ad agency folks in Boston were getting out of New York, meaning you know a, a lot of work would leave Boston. City limits to go to go work with a collaborator in New York or in LA just just because of the nature of those companies they were just different sure. they 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 could be more nimble they they mm-hmm. they could be a, a little more creative um, in, in their their execution um, you know so if you could take one of those formulas and you could put that in Boston it was worth a it was worth a whack worth and, the uh, shot that's
0: yeah that's exactly yeah.
2: what we did um, so we uh i i was lucky enough to meet my partner um winston mcdonald at the time he was a a, a freelancing dp and he'd he'd done a lot of direct-to-brand stuff uh, for folks like new balance and converse oh yeah um man. and he was sort of that guy in a van that had had a camera but it was also uh was he by you know, the river what,
1: what's, what's going on no
2: yeah <laughs> yeah he he <laughs> might have been sleeping by uh, on the charles river at on that the point. charles river i was gonna say yeah. it's got to be a specific
1: um, river in boston
2: yeah but you know just an insanely creative dude um and uh you know so he came from that end of things more of the dp end of things and i obviously come from more of the editorial end of things and the agency end of things he Mm -hmm. was working direct to brands i was working with agencies and it kind of was this perfect synergy of of Mm -hmm. our networks smashing together and um we we uh, just really started scrapping together as any um, startup company would, uh, and trying to f- discover what our identity was. And yeah. we did the same thing that everyone does: you throw out a million names and you, <laughs> you, try, <laughs> you try to find one that sticks. And um, yeah. y- y- you call everybody you know to see who will hire you. You do a lot of work for free. Um, yeah. yeah. And and eventually uh, enough momentum starts going in the right direction, and, and enough that one big client says yes yeah. and yeah. uh and then you're off to the races and and luckily that happened to us for in pretty quick order that we didn't have to uh yeah <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have to sell our uh, our vans to yeah. uh, to make it happen
1: <laughs> vans or set up shop by by uh, certain rivers uh yeah. so what what would you say is the big value proposition of a of a company like vagrants versus one of the, some of the bigger production houses uh you know, there's there's because the barrier entry is so low and, you know, a schmuck with a camera can can do a lot these days. So, you know, what what is what is the, the differentiator for for vagrants?
2: I think we really took what I learned at the agency and applied it to the production company model. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we, we call ourselves a creative content shop very specifically because, um we, we function more as a creative collaborator and, and sort of a, a problem solver in the production sense than we are um, just strictly a production company. And mm-hmm. I'll go back to that sort of transactional nature of production, right? Um, a lot of production is treated in this sort of a la carte way, which is that, okay, if you want to shoot for two days with, uh, this many people, it's going to cost you X, right? It's very mathematical. Yeah. And what's what's missing exactly. What's missing in that process is the sort of, um, creative problem solving of, you know, what if we, what if we told the story this way, right? Like what, what if we set (laughs) it here? And, um, what if while we're shooting, um, you know, this scene, we are taking photos at the same time. And, and what if we, you know, there's sort of all these sort of efficiency things that go on in a producer's brain that that don't go on um, in, in a creative's brain because they, they it's you just don't have the, that same skill set. And mm-hmm. to me, it's, it's no different than art and copy. Right. It, the, 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 sure. the marriage of production to creative um, goes hand in hand. Um, so really, what we do is we we partner with folks. We sort of start um, sometimes with a blank slate. We we work with with brands, direct to brands, yeah. the same way we we do with agencies, really, um, where we we you know start in the brainstorming process of. Um, what is the story we're trying to tell, and what are maybe the few pieces that we know we need? Okay, we, we uh, want to shoot in this location. We want to shoot with this um, talent, and um, we we need to you know shoot for these deliverables, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then we we um, think strategically of throughout the uh, entire course of the campaign, um, not just shooting for that one 32nd broadcast deliverable, but shooting for the whole world of content. We took, we call it, you know, shooting for every box, right? There's yeah. so many boxes yeah. that people have bought into and, um, we, we need to, to shoot for all those. Um, yeah. I think the other thing is, is that a lot of production companies weren't doing post at the same time and post being in my DNA. I I can't separate those two things. I can't separate yeah. production and post-production. It's so
0: connected now. That's part yeah. of what's going on. Yeah. You're
1: all, yep. you're, it's like when you're shooting, you're constantly thinking about, kind of like we do with this podcast. It's like, uh, I got to trim that. <laughs> <laughs> Which
0: part? When were you thinking that when he was talking? I wonder. Yeah. That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> uh, about, about 25 minutes ago. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> th- speaking of quick edits, but don't bump. Um, so I watched this movie uh, made Back East yeah that that uh, you you directed and Vagrants produced. Um, first of all, if you're longing for a wonderful New England slash Boston accent and you <laughs> haven't seen a Ben Affleck <laughs> Matt Damon movie in a while, check this thing out. Because it's like... Classic. Every, yeah, it's like... I don't want to. Do, well, I I could do it. I I'm I'm one beer in. But- don't
0: do it, Phil. <laughs> don't do it. It's not going to work. But all right. Yes, all right. you you cannot do the accent. Yeah, but
1: yeah. Tommy, I mean,
0: tell tell us a little bit. I love the idea of you so your sort of foray into original content, Dustin. Just quickly, sort of give us a little bit of the pitch of this idea.
2: Yeah, I think about uh, being a modern production company is rethinking about what content is and. Yeah. We- so inspired by um the Yeti film series, um yeah. which which went just from being successful um short documentaries, branded short documentaries that people would watch on YouTube or, or what have you. And then they 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 went so far as to even do a film festival tour of mm-hmm. all of the Yeti films, and they were selling out multiple nights in, in theaters all across the country. Yeah. And that that was just so fascinating to me. And um, I really wanted to kind of get into that arena. And the only way to do that is to kind of do a a, 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 test case, um, to, to show to our clients that, Hey, this is something viable. This is something that we can do. And this is something worth investing in. Um, and it's all about finding the right story that connects mm-hmm. to your brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so we found a brand, um, that that we were close uh, uh, friends with uh, Parlor Skis or a small uh, boutique ski shop in Boston. And uh, we started brainstorming about what a film would be that would resonate with their brand. And their brand is very New England based. They make skis that are mm-hmm. for new England yep. and, yeah. and skiing in new England uh, is a bit of a different art than skiing anywhere else mm-hmm. in the country where uh, basically our conditions suck. So you need a yeah. ski <laughs> that can really yeah. perform in those shitty conditions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So they make this ski that,
0: skates basically. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
2: They make these skis that are, are, are yeah. very solid construction. They're heavy and they just rip through all the ice and slush and, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah. So we wanted to make a film that was kind of an ode to New England. Um, and the name made back East came to mind um, as I, I would go on vacations to ski uh, out West. And whenever you, you would be on a chairlift or a gondola with someone, they say, Oh, Oh, you're from back East, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and the idea of, back east sort of insinuated that if you took skiing seriously you would have left a long time ago right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, would, you wouldn't stay back east you would have moved. yeah
1: yeah um, but this well, is all l- about that 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 uh you know screw you you know we love what we do and, and uh <laughs> yeah. we yeah. won't be told otherwise yeah i love it yeah. yeah yeah so I, I i i mean i also think it's an interesting
0: maybe sort of way to cap the conversation here a little bit, Dustin. So like, if you think about your journey, right, you started in film, you kind of sort of saw the advent of tape. You saw the, frankly, the, what looked at first, like kind of destruction of the business with the sort of the advent of the Canon 5d. And, but then I would argue sort of like out of that emerged an entirely different kind of like industry as all the, you know, culminating all the way in this, this movie, uh, made Back East would not have been made if the cameras were still 90 grand, I would argue. Sure. And, they, yeah. and they would not have been made if it required that kind of level of sort of like separation between the creators and the production talent. Right. So, I, I mean, to me, that's just like a really interesting thing to kind of think about is sort of the, the chaos and the change and adaption to it. But then the creativity that I would argue has sort of like emerged out of that. So, I mean, it kind of brings us to the part of our program here where, you know, we go, what are we going to steal? So, Phil, like you've heard Dustin's story, his sort of journey through mm-hmm. <laughs> through yes. the different phases of production, frankly. Uh, like what 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 lesson uh, did you hear from, from Dustin that you're going to
1: steal? Oh boy. I'm going to have fun with this one because I I come from a slightly different, uh, you know, background than I would argue, you know, both of you, you know, (laughs) I, I didn't do a ton of photo shoots and, and, uh, shoots on the, you know, the sunset strip doing, uh, you know, Nissan ads or whatever, Uh, you know, I'm not an agency vet in that regard. I'm more of a boxes and arrows product guy, but as, as I've gone through my journey, uh, the one thing that has held true throughout, mm. that I think Dustin also discovered, coming from a pretty technical background and then finding, uh, you know, inspiration working with storytellers, is that the adage "content is king" is as true, if not more so, than mm. ever. Mm. And um, you know, I love the the analogy that we used to uh, we used to work with this uh, uh, a guy by the name of Christian Weitzinger who said. Yep um you know we build these beautiful websites and it's like you know when you don't think about content it's the equivalent of moving into a beautiful house and populating it with your old college dorm room furniture yeah and and that's 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 exactly what this is and now that the the storytelling can be told in such vibrant ways because of this because of the technology and because of the level playing field that both mm. the equipment and the advent of social media brings um it's just like content marketing has taken on this whole new form and those coming from a technical background can be part of the storytelling process as much as anybody else yeah some ways it's less precious and in some ways it's even more valuable than ever so yeah uh i just love this notion that um you know uh, I've got the technical, I've got the system side, now I've got the story side, and now yeah. I'm a perfect match. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I well, I I love, I mean,
0: I'm a massive fan of what has happened in production in terms of democratizing sort of like the ability for everyone to participate in the creation of things. Um, but honestly, the thing that I'm going to steal from, from what Dustin has talked about today is really more of his internal story. I just love how... Almost like David Bergantino, when we talked with him, mm-hmm. Phil, or like a bunch of other people, like Dustin sort of followed the river. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, um, you know, I think too many people sort of like have an assumption of like, this is exactly how my career is going to go. And I'm going to follow this exact path. And I think Dustin sort of found an opportunity to sort of wind his way into teaching and like discovered incredible skills there and then found mm-hmm. his way to go in house. And, and found incredible skills there, and now it's led him to you know the latest stage of his story and his journey, owning his own company, creating original films, creating original mm-hmm. contents. And yeah. I would actually argue that all of that would not have been possible if that original thing where that $90,000 camera suddenly crashed onto 5K and basically made his job blow up yeah, hadn't occurred. And I think that's a lesson for me. That's a lesson for all of us that sometimes out of something that's really scary, this kind of dramatic change that happens, if you're a creative person, you're going to find a way, have your eyes open, right? It's about what, frankly, Adrian Slobin talked about back in the day, right? Beyond the hunt, don't like have a set outcome in mind. Um, because you may discover something else magical along the way. Be like a hunter, like find the best thing on the, have an objective, but be willing to kind of like look off the path and you're going to find something magical. So I don't know,
2: Dustin, what are your thoughts? Uh, No, I, 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 building off of what you're saying, Barry, um, I, I, I follow the river and I think this is specifically, um a message for for the graduating class yeah. uh, of this generation i know yeah. your son is is this age too barry yeah. is that if i hadn't have come out at the time that i did um uh, where everything was changing and, and things were so difficult and the cards were stacked against you yeah. um i i'm not sure i would have had that grit to to um, sort of check your pride and take the opportunity that maybe doesn't seem as glamorous as maybe it's not exactly mm-hmm. what you want to be doing. That's um, right. it, you know, but there really is something valuable there for you to learn from if you can just look past that. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, if, if you're willing to take a bit of a detour, you know, you will get to where you want to go. Um, if, if you work hard and, and you, you know, learn yeah. right. the right things at the right time along the way.
1: Yeah. F- Follow the river, but don't live in a van down by it.
2: No,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know, but you can, maybe you meet you meet people like Dustin along the way, and it turns sure. out all right. So yeah.
2: <laughs> depends on the van. I, yeah, yeah well, that's right, also true. Go. That's also. All
0: right, let's do our wrap here, Phil. So let's take us you know, take us home. That's right. What bubbles up, listeners? Thank you for an, another great episode, and thank you, Dustin Devlin, for uh, participating in this one with us. We're thrilled to have you on. Finally. Um, for those of you listening, um, uh, thank you for listening, and we'd love to have you help us spread the word about What Bubbles Up. So please subscribe if you hadn't uh, and or sort of share with your friends this episode, and you can subscribe and listen to it, obviously, across Spotify, across uh, Apple Podcast, across uh, a number of different platforms, or you can just visit uh,
1: whatbubblesup.com and find it uh, through Anchor. Phil, other stuff? Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with us, please feel free to do so by emailing us at whatbubblesup at gmail.com or following us on Twitter and Instagram at whatbubblesup. Once again, thank you so much to Dustin Devlin, no relation to Dean Devlin, <laughs> the founder and creative director at Vagrant's production company. We will see you on the next episode of What Bubbles Up. Cheers. What bubbles up? What bubbles up? My feel popping off my
2: bottle cap. What bubbles up?